We're Kenyon and Takara Martin, faith-based marriage coaches, champions for healthy love, and lovers of pizza. And this is The Covered Podcast, where we answer your relationship questions and help you protect, serve, and secure your marriage with practical advice and research-based techniques. Do you have a question that you want answered on The Covered Podcast? Well, send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram at Ask the Martins or visit us at AskTheMartins.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. Well, good morning. So we've got our wives pouring in. Um, uh, hey, good good morning, ladies. So this is a ladies only chat. Husbands, you are free to join. Um, if there are some, I do see. I think I think I think I see a husband here, possibly. Um, yeah, we're really um, wanting to have a, a really intimate and honest conversation, um, just about wives and in our marriage and our roles, but also some of the the the, the things that we either need to learn or unlearn um, as it pertains to. Um, you know, being a, a woman or what we perceive as a, a strong woman or a good wife and all of that stuff. And so um, I, I've stalked um, Anatomy of Marriage here um, um, for a little while now. We have them on our podcast and they're just um, some people who are just number one, we love them, but then they're just really um, honest and real about things, all things marriage. And with being married to a therapist, um, me being married to, you know, a counselor, it, it can be funny. Right. Navigating. It, stuff. It's a different world. You all of a sudden are diagnosed with everything that you could possibly be diagnosed with, right? Like all of a sudden you have schizophrenia because your husband's a therapist. Okay. Whatever. Yeah, it's its own world. Awesome. So before we jump in tell us a little bit about you, um, you know, how the podcast came about and kind of um, all things AOM. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for having me. First off, I wanted to say that I'm so excited to be here. I can't think of a better way to spend my morning at 7 a.m. <laughs> with a bunch of ladies. Um, but so thank you. Uh, we created the podcast out of, out of our like the hardest part of our marriage. Honestly, we had gone through a near divorce. And what happened was Seth came up to me one day when I had a one-year-old baby sleeping in his crib and a two-week-old baby sleeping in my arms, and he confessed to lying and looking at pornography. And uh, you heard what I just said, right? He confessed. I didn't find him cheating. I didn't any of that stuff. He confessed. He did the right thing. But I lost my mind. I literally fell apart. Part of it was I was postpartum. I had a one-year-old and a two-week-old. And so everything just fell apart. My whole world fell apart as a wife, as a mom. I didn't know who I was as a Christian in the church, all these things. And so we, it was the worst probably two to three years of our marriage so far. It was so horrendous. I was physically abusive to Seth. I was verbally abusive to him. I was trying my hardest to get him to leave me. So I could look like the victim and he would look like the bad guy, cut and dry. It was really clean and simple. Like I was trying to make him leave. And yeah, it was a lot. And so what happened is eventually we went, you know, we went to counseling. We did all the things we should do. And we, we finally got over that the sort of the big initial hurdle where we're like, okay, no, we're going to stay together, all of this stuff. And once we got over that, we're like, wait, how, how did we do this? How did we get through this? What should, what can we learn from this? But more importantly, what can we share from this? Because all the resources that we could find when we were in the hardest parts of our marriage were from happily married couples who looked clean cut and none of those wives ever punched their husband in the face, let me tell you that much. And so I was like, I'm not reading this book. This is not for me, right? So that was kind of the genesis was, wait, there's no resources. There weren't resources for us that looked like us, that made sense to us. So what could we do? to bring that into the world? How could we create the podcast that we wish we had had when we were going through the hardest times of our marriage? So that's kind of how it all started, this crazy journey of, of, um, of healing and then turning that healing into something helpful, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, we can just leave on that note. Um, <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> when you see Kenyon on the side, he was like, wow. <laughs> because even in all of that, it's one of those things where like you hear it. And then I think one of the, the, the biggest things that I just took away was like, I wanted him to leave so I could look like the victim. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and not that um, you weren't even within your right to, to 
walk away or whatever, like whatever your feelings were, mm-hmm. how often do we get stuck in this place of, of it, whether it's a simple argument mm-hmm. <laughs> or a big one, I just need to feel like the victim so I can hold on to this and use it as my weapon. Right. Um, right. And so, wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, so I think going through all of that and, and kind of going through that, that violent piece of it, mm-hmm. um, did you ever wrestle with the idea of what does a good wife look like? to stay in this versus what am I supposed to be uh, like, what am I supposed to be feeling? Do I stay? Do I stick this mm-hmm. out? Do, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Uh, the thing that I thought, and this is, I got to back up a tiny bit is I was raised in the Catholic church, but I didn't care about the Catholic church. I just did whatever I wanted. And then I became a Christian when I was 19, uh, just sort of like out of nowhere it was really weird. And so then I became, I started going to a Christian church and I, I thought because I was not raised like deeply invested in church or religion or anything, I had my own ideas and I held very firmly to them. Meaning when I heard the church say, oh, a good wife does this and that. I was like, whatever. Yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> that's pretend. Those are pretend wives. <laughs> that's all I can think of. It was like, they say that's what a good wife does. But behind closed doors, we all know what's going on. Like we all know people are fighting with each other. People are, you know, saying mean things and being ugly and all of that. And so thankfully... I will say I never had this idea that I thought I should live up to, if that makes any sense. But I did know, I guess I'll say it the opposite way. I knew what a good wife wasn't because I was all of those things, right? Like I was really mean to Seth. I was really sarcastic. I was not supportive. I was not, um, what's the word? I didn't celebrate him. I didn't honor him. I didn't do what the Bible says you're supposed to do. And so I, in my mind, what I knew was that I was doing all of the wrong things, but I, I knew I loved him. So right. I, what I was trying to do constantly was make sense of those two really opposing worldviews and how do I make them line up? And it's a, that's a years long journey of being like, this version of a good wife actually doesn't exist. Like it, it's not really real. And then my version of what I'm doing as a wife is not great. It's not helpful. So how can I find something where it actually all lines up and we're all happy and feel good about each other? I don't know if I answered your question like at all, but. And I feel like, um, hey, screw these notes. But (laughs) I think number one, something else you just said, the the, um, society's version, the church's version of a good wife, the ideas that we have, it does not really exist the way that we think they do are supposed to look like in our head. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so me on the opposite side of the spectrum, um, I witnessed my mom and my dad, my stepdad, my mom and my dad were like probably like the epitome of a good marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, But they went through stuff. My dad went through things with pornography. Like my mom like went through things of having to deal with that too. On my end, it was we pray through it. Mm-hmm. And this is what a good wife does. We deal with these things. We find the hidden things. We see the things that don't necessarily sometimes look right or feel right, but we sit down and we sit through it because God's going to change him because Mm. God's going to make sure that everything that I want and the desires of my heart is going to come to fruition through like all of the, you know, these things. Somebody gave me a book when I was in an abusive marriage, the power of a praying wife. I'm not that book i've not read it but i know it yeah i hate that book (laughs) (laughs) i hate that book like every time i see somebody recommend it i'm like i get the gist of it right but i think the reality of of marriage really comes from something that women didn't imagine it came from something that men gave to us i think um and indirectly and Mm -hmm. so when i read that book i felt like it was a wife who was basically mouthing what her wife told her i mean what her husband told her to say Mm -hmm. about being a good wife Mm -hmm. and so every time i went to go read that like that book depressed me it made me cry it made me feel like i am not ever going to be a good wife because i don't know how to sit here and deal with this man busting me in my lip i don't sit here and deal with this man like always dealing with my you know taking my emotional scars and then doing whatever what he wants but not considering me in the process Mm -hmm. and so like you said how do you find that balance between what our ideas are 
what people are telling us, even what we see, because now social media has amplified the fakeness that we see. Oh, yeah. How do we take all of that and make something in the middle that suits us? Oh. And I think I'm going to ask you this question and I'll save my comment for it for after you. But when you came to that middle of the road, like, what am I supposed to be doing versus what I what people are telling me? Oh. What do you think was a pivotal changing point for you? Well, there was this moment uh, where, so I love Joyce Meyer. I, don't, I know some people hate Joyce Meyer. I love I, her. I, I, I adore that woman. Yeah. And she is one of the most raw, real teachers that I have ever heard. And she talked about this moment about, um, you know, she is a super uh, sort of aggressive wife. She's an assertive, gravelly-voiced woman. Yeah, and she, yeah, yeah, I know. She sort of like, bulldozes her way through things and she realized at some point that you can do all that bulldozing and that like you know steamrollering but you can do it all in the wrong direction mm. and you can do it all for the wrong purpose and no one will stop you because you're so scary right mm. like no one will stop you because they're like oh, don't, don't tell Joyce no she's gonna yell in your face and right. I realized as I listened to her say that on her podcast when I mean this was in the middle of when Seth and I were going through everything I was like oh my gosh that's me I mm. am a bully yeah. I am literally bullying my husband into doing and th and thinking and responding. And I mean, if he doesn't do exactly what I want him to do, I freak out so much that now he has no choice that but to do what I want him to do. Does that make sense? And yeah. so I was bullying him. And that was kind of my eye-opening moment where I went, wait, I'm doing all the things that I'm not supposed to do. And I'm not going to get where I want to go. And I'm not going to create the marriage or the life or the whatever that I want. And I have to stop. And it all, th then it turned into prayer and oh my gosh, and humility. And I need to change. Like, I really, really need to change. It was really, really hard though. <laughs> it's very hard. And for me, the opposite side of that was I had to stop looking at other people mm. as an example of either what I should be or even what my husband was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Because the more I looked at other people, the more I began to compare myself, my marriage, and my husband to other people, mm -hmm. good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, if this couple fights and, and goes through what they call struggle love, then I'm supposed to fight and go through struggle love. Or if that husband is a preacher, then my husband's supposed to be a preacher. Mm -hmm. And all these things. And if they're, you know, steamrolling like Joyce Meyer, then maybe, maybe this will work for me too. Like mm -hmm. how all of these things. And when I realize, even in business, I no longer look at other people because I never want to feel like I'm trying to um, duplicate someone else's progress, duplicate oh. someone else's journey. This is mine. My marriage is mine. This husband, mine. And so I had to take really, really strong steps and therapy to <laughs> identify like what, what my marriage wanted to look like to me, what I wanted it to look like to me, what I wanted to look like to me. And I'm a better wife because of the fact that, again, I don't look to other people. Um, I think, and I'm going to jump to the, the second point that I have, because I think number one is great, but I kind of, I just, I think you, you said other amazing things. So the, the second point that I have here, um, as a wife, you are obligated to choose you just as much as you choose everything else in your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How hard is it for you to put three children aside, put a husband aside, put a growing business aside, put a podcast aside and choose you? Honestly. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what's hard about it is knowing what choosing me means. Ooh. So we have a world telling us what choosing me looks like. And they often say Netflix and chill wine time. Like, they, I mean, there's Chardonnay all day. Like, <laughs> is that really, is that really what I want? I know right. that's what like the world is telling me that I want and how I should refresh. But when I sit back and think, oh, I want some me time. Or if Seth even says, I want you to have some you time, you go shopping. I'm like, I don't want to go. That's not what I want to go do. Like, and yeah. so the hardest part about that is knowing what me time means for each different person. And I'm going to backtrack a tiny bit because something that you said twice and I wanted to say something about it. I never did was that um, all of this talk about how marriage should look. Yes. How relationships should be. Never, ever once does that consider when we have a, like a blanket of should over all of this. It does not consider us as individual humans. 
with individual stories and individual experiences. So just one perfect example of this that is so heartbreaking but so common is that you say, oh, sex and intimacy should look like this. Well, what happens if when you were 12, you were raped by a loved one, like yeah. literally by a family member? Should sex and intimacy really look the same for that particular person and that particular marriage? Or should it look different because it needs to adapt to what has happened in the lives of the people within that particular marriage? So that's yeah. one of the things that I find so, um, so difficult to understand when we systematize anything. We, yeah. remo we remove the humanity. We remove the individual person's journey. And then we, we try to like make it just t tick off boxes and be like, yeah. yes, have sex once a week. Yes, do this one thing. And you're like, oh, wait, that does not work for me. That does not work for us. And so that is something that I wanted to kind of touch on. And it, it like popped into my head a bunch. And then now I forget what you were telling me. No. <laughs> so then you started talking about though choosing you and yes. what choosing you looks like right and so in that understanding and this is gonna sound super weird but years ago uh, after I had our last child I I mean this was she was like tiny like months old a friend of mine at our church in a basement started doing yoga of all things and I at the time it was not nearly as popular as it now and I thought oh I don't know yoga I don't know but she was my friend and I wanted to go and I wanted <laughs> to talk to other moms and we were all moms with like infants doing yoga together in the basement of a church and yeah. it was the beginning of something I deeply deeply love which is just like mindfulness and stretching it's not even you I don't ever go to yoga classes I don't have pretty yoga clothes I have nothing that's lululemon I don't care about it I do yoga in my J's my pajamas and I do it in my bedroom so but that to me is the most me time I could possibly have listening to a TED talk and doing yoga and oh. like that's that's like my version of joyful peace and renewing but again if I had listened to what culture tells me and society tells me it's, it's like alcohol and watching a show which I I don't care about alcohol and I like zero care about watching a show and so it's very hard like you got to know what actually gives you Joy, I love this. Lakeisha says, mindfulness for the win. <laughs> like, I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, so she said, what do I need as a refresher? Yes, not the word. Okay, so here's the thing. When you said knowing it, what it looks like for you, I think it's very important to know you. Uh -huh. um, I can speak for me um, in previous marriages going into a marriage I was literally god this is gonna be so sad I was that person that whatever my husband liked I liked right my husband liked basketball okay I'm gonna like basketball mm -hmm. like my husband likes football okay I'm gonna like football we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and it was like because I didn't have my own identity or I honestly nope I was afraid to express who I really was in my marriage previously right. Because I felt like if I did, I would be rejected. Mm. If mm. I had my own mind, I would be rejected. If I didn't act like, you know, the pretty little, at the time, you know, pastor's wife who did everything for her husband and cooked and did all this stuff, I couldn't have anything for me. Mm. And so I was choosing to be, you know, a good wife. I was trying to choose to be a good mother, all these different things. But I never chose to really get to know who I was that said, what do I need? What do I love? What do I want? Mm. And so I recently, um, right when the pandemic started, my husband and I made an agreement. We're not going to spend any money. Like we're, we're going to like, let's hunker down. We're going to save just in case the world goes to, to shreds. Right, right. Money, but like, there's this one thing I was like, okay, but can we first buy a patio set? Because you know, we <laughs> to our house, right? He was like, I mean, fine, I guess. So I got a patio set, like on Facebook Marketplace. It was delivered the same. I already had one in my mind that I wanted, but I found mm -hmm. it on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so I asked him, I'm like, if can I just please have this? And now. Every single weekend, and even some mornings, I go outside and I just sit on the patio. Mm -hmm. The first weekend I did that, like I literally almost spent the entire day on the patio and just sat there quiet. Mm -hmm. And it's super simple to a lot of people, but for me, my brain goes a million miles a minute. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm always thinking about somebody else. I'm always thinking about something else that has to get done. Mm -hmm. Nothing has to get done that much to where your body, your mind, your soul is deteriorating in the process. Oh, yeah. And when I take a step back and think about the simplest things, like I have the best days. I'm the best person when I just take those moments and just like choose me mm-hmm. and it's an obligation. And I think the main point about this is that it's an obligation mm-hmm. to choose yourself. Nothing right. works in that house if you are not fully functional. Right. And I want to say like you, you sort of, said this comment that whoever you were with, you kind of transformed to be like them. And I, I will say in your defense, our chemicals are forcing us to do that. That yeah. is the pair bonding chemicals are like meld together, become one. So it is not just us being like, I have no opinions. I don't know what I think. It literally is like all the chemicals in your body are like, I think you two are going to have a baby. You better be on the same page. And so your own biology is pushing you towards sameness as a purpose and a function for reproduction. I know that sounds weird, but it's um, it's helpful to know that. And the one thing that I think I wrote this down, it's actually taped on my wall up here for a a listener wrote into our show and was asking about like, I've never been able, I've never truly been able to be myself. I've never expressed my needs or feelings to my husband. I don't know what to do. I feel like all these things, all the things that you're saying, this listener was saying to us. And what came to my mind was that, when we start out in a relationship and even just as humans and women and young adults or whatever we were at the time, it's almost like we're a piece of uh, paper all folded up and you're only seeing one part of us. And as we grow and as things happen, we gain life experience, we unfold a little bit. It's a, like a blooming, like a blossoming, right? And that's not bad. But what happens is when we start to unfold and go, oh, actually there was a little bit more under here. I didn't realize that was there. What happens in our mind is we go, oh, crap, I'm falling apart. The whole world is ending. I'm unraveling. It's the end. I will never be okay. And we go to this extreme of, well, I guess I'm not who I thought it was. Instead of saying, let's just gently kind of open up the flower instead of like freak out and change and run away and do all of those things. So there's a little bit of that that I want to just tell people that happens and it's supposed to happen. Oh, sorry. My alarm is going off. To drink water. <laughs> right. Um, right. Choosing you, hydrating. Right. And I think um, a lot of times, right, with kids, someone said they've been married for 15 years with seven kids, right? Yeah. A lot of you gets lost and get over here, put on the clothes, do the dishes, right. go get your brother. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of stuff gets lost in all of that. A lot of mm-hmm. us gets lost in that. And you know this one of the highest periods of divorce is either early on in the marriage uh-huh. or the kids go and you're left stuck with somebody you don't know anymore. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not knowing you is a part of someone you don't know anymore either. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and so when all of this is said and done after all these years of marriage, who are you going to be when the children are left? Who is your husband going to be? What is your marriage going to be? And I think, the more you spend time looking into these things, uncovering these things, um, are it's going to help your marriage grow and blossom mm-hmm. um, and be prepared for the empty nest because it's going to happen. Right. Like countdown. But for other people, they're dreading it because it's like, where are we going to be? Who are we going to be? You know what right. I mean? Right. And one thing that comes to my mind as you say that is in – What's amazing is, and this is going to sound so out of place for a split second here, is that especially when it comes to kids, I mean, 15 years, seven children, my goodness, that is uh, so much. I only have three kids and seven sounds like a lot more than three. (laughs) And the thing that, right, just a little bit more. The thing that comes to my mind is that we often, especially in America, have very child-centric homes. So Mm -hmm. every bit of our ounce of effort, all of our thoughts, all of our whatever goes directly towards our kids. Our marriage doesn't even get put on the back burner. It gets like shut outside. We don't even care about it. We're trying to make sure our kids go to soccer and they do football and they do art and they do dance and they do piano. And what's crazy about that is that raises little selfish turds, right? Your kids think the whole world revolves around them. And let me tell you something that would be amazing that Seth and I do kind of on accident and kind of because we're not great parents <laughs> is that we, uh, I mean, from the, from the traditional standard of great parents, I think we're great, but not in society's standards, is we make our kids do stuff for us. 
like literally just for us. And yeah. one of the things, our son mows the lawn now. He's uh, um, 12, and he, we have a riding lawnmower. We got a lot of grass to cut, and we make him mow the lawn. And we, we pay him because it's a hard job or whatever. But we tell him, like, you're doing this so that daddy can be here with mom. Like, it's not mm -hmm. just because, you know, it's not because we, whatever. Like, we could hire, well, we couldn't hire grass service. But, like, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, we're telling him, you're going to do this. You're going to do the dishes so me and daddy can talk. And that is going to raise children who have an awareness of others. And then when they're old enough to get into a relationship, they will not be selfish little turds and think everyone should do everything for them. I love it. We have to stop raising selfish turds. Right. right. Put that on a t-shirt. Right. Your kid is a selfish turd. How about that? Have you ever been listening to the Soul Ties podcast or Covered podcast and wish that you could have Kenyon or Takara in your back pocket to help you with something that you're going through right now? Well, we can't fit in your back pocket, but we can do the next best thing. We can be available to you directly, focusing up on your most immediate question or concern privately and right from the comfort of your own home. Introducing Ask the Martins Chat Cafe Coaching. Chat Cafe is an affordable chat room coaching experience that confidentially connects you directly to us in your time of need. Each one hour or less chat session is designed to focus on your most immediate and urgent questions. You know, the kinds of questions that you hear us answer all the time. Now you can get your questions answered directly and confidentially and without leaving your home. Ask the Martins Chat Cafe, the easy peasy coaching chat service. That's the next best thing to having Kenyon and Takara in your back pocket. Go to askthemartins.com for the chat cafe service. That's askthemartins.com and schedule your session today. All appointments are scheduled. First come, first serve. Man, oh my goodness. Um, okay, I'm gonna let's answer this question and then we can switch the topic to sex. Uh, <laughs> um, so we have so last night I had a bully moment when my introverted husband didn't want to go to the dance party and I had a baby temper tantrum. In that moment, I felt like I was back at the beginning of our marriage 10 years ago and I felt I haven't grown. I would like to know how. So I would like to know how you guys deal with disappointment. I'll let you start that off. Yeah. Well, I'm for one, the fact that you can articulate that. And you said I had a baby ten temper tantrum that it that's huge. Yes. Dance party for just that. Like the fact that you can say that and say, I felt like it was 10 years ago in our marriage, all that stuff. So praise all over that. That's a huge step. The mm. thing that I think of is, so what's funny is that I wanted to do the dance party too with Seth and we had, but we had to go pick up our kids and I was so disappointed. I even got all dressed. <laughs> like I got ready to do the dance party and then we had to go get our kids. But what's hard about this situation is that Seth is similar to this where he like, I will want to do the crazy fun thing and he'll be like, eh, I don't know, yeah. you know? And what's hard about it is I've had those baby temper tantrums as well. And I come in with all of my feelings and I'm not caring at all what my husband wants. One of the best ways to deal with this is to literally switch places in your mind. Be like, well, what? And have curiosity. Why doesn't he want to do it? Don't label him with, oh, he's an introvert. He doesn't want to do it. Maybe he didn't feel well. Maybe he was overwhelmed from talking about his emotions. And if we can keep that curiosity in a safe way and a non-judgmental, non-assumptive way, we can then ask that question, hey, you know, I'd really like to do this dance and I, I don't want to get angry about this. Can we talk about why you don't want to do it? Yeah. Like just that much, like just that much. It, and it's super simple to get offended when things don't go our way, um, especially when it's something that we really want to do. I think right. one of the, one of the, and, and we're actually going to be talking about this in, in a later class, but one of the simplest things that you could possibly do for someone is ask them a question, ask them mm -hmm. where they are. But I think also really key in that is, okay, so we've been advertising this for a couple of weeks. We have a dance party, you know, whatever. Um, or maybe you bought your ticket at the last minute. I'm not sure. So I don't want to assume, but if it's something that you really wanted to do, mm -hmm. I think especially for introverts, tell them, give them a lot of time right. <laughs> up to that. Right. Like I understand it's going to be a lot of energy expense, like spent doing this and, you know, already not knowing what to expect. It would really mean a lot to me. We haven't been out of the house. We've been, you know, again, COVID we've been doing this. 
honey, it would really mean a lot to me if we could just do this. Make a deal. Can we just stay for 30 minutes? See how you like it. If you're not feeling it, we'll stop. But it would really mean a lot to me because I'm needing this. I'm wanting this. Mm -hmm. And so that way, knowing that he's an introvert, you know that things that involve a lot of energy is going to more than likely a lot of times end with the no. Mm -hmm. But I think communicating how important something is to you um, I think helped them change their mind about it. Just yesterday, King and I were having a conversation and he texted me something and he's like, okay, well, you know, if such and such and such happens, I'm going to get frustrated or I'm going to get agitated or whatever. And even though I asked him like, okay, honey, could, so would you please try not to let that be your default? I love you. But the fact that he said this, it's he's saying that I recognize that things may not go perfectly. And if something happens, I'm letting you know this is how it's going to make me feel. Mm-hmm. In that conversation, I felt better with him telling me how this was going to make me feel if certain set of circumstances weren't there. Mm-hmm. And then, but I also think by him verbalizing it, it helped him change his expectation of what was to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so think simple things like that can really help us not be as disappointed. Introverts right. don't like last minute plans. Um, um, you know what I mean? <laughs> they, right. They, like to know what's happening and what's coming at them. So. Right. Well, and one thing you said, you use the key word there is expectations. And I think one of the things that Seth and I started doing, I can't remember where we learned this, but someone talked about this idea of li- very explicitly saying to your partner what your expectation is of any given event or day or whatever. And a perfect example for us is weekends. So oftentimes Seth will want to just do house stuff on the weekends, like put mm-hmm. up siding or, I mean, we're renovating a house Uh, I use that term loosely. We're renovating a very small trailer (laughs) that we live in. Oh my gosh. But anyway, so we're doing a lot of housework, roofing and painting and siding and stuff. So what happens is on the weekends, if I don't ask Seth, what are your expectations for this day? Will you please tell me what you expect this day to look like? He will have already filled his whole brain and his to-do list with a ton of stuff that I have no idea about and vice versa. I will have done the same. I'll think, oh, we're going to go on a walk. We're going to take the dog to the park. We're going to go to Starbucks if it's open, blah, blah, blah. But um, what's amazing is that you can actually have these conversations about expectation when there's no tension, when there's no heat, when no one is actually disappointed yet. And so that's... a, a a really amazing trick that we learned. You can talk about it with events or so you could have said, Hey, with this covered con, uh, my expectation, what I see for this, my vision for this is we're going to do the dance. We're going to sit on the couch afterwards. We're going to talk about what we learned and just literally lay your dreams out. I know that sounds so weird because we do not think that way, but it's the most helpful thing that you can do. Cause then you'll figure out, are we way off? Like is, is my husband's expectations way down here and mine are way up here or are they left and right? What are they and how can they overlap? How can we make them overlap in a way that feels good and life-giving to both of us? Yeah. Francine said something here great in the chat. She said, I think sometimes we want our husbands to organically want to do things rather than asking them. Oh yeah. I would absolutely have to agree with that. I know. And it's so weird that we do, but you know what? We're taught not to say what we want. We are really taught not to say what we want as women, especially women in the church. You're not supposed to say what you want, and men are supposed to somehow intuit that, and then they're not trained on it either. Absolutely. So come on now. <laughs> exactly. So listen, though, because you said we're not, we're not trained to say what we want, and that was like our point one, right, was mm-hmm. that your, your silence in the midst of your struggles is, a more, is more indicative of shame than it is strength. Mm-hmm. And, and when you say that we're not taught to speak our truth, we're not taught to speak that, even when it's something that's saying, I want to do something fun with you. I want to enjoy you. I miss you. Even communicating our needs is indicative of, it can be indicative of a shame, of a resistance that we have to wanting to be seen and then getting rejected. Um, and so it's like I, we have to sit down and stop telling ourselves that we do not have a right to be heard. Right. How we communicate the things that we need, that we want, that we desire, that really does open our marriage up. But mm-hmm. silence does nothing in the face of trying to grow a, a marriage organically. Um, right. It's, it does nothing, and it's not strength. Silence is actually something that says there's something in me that fears if I put my whole self out here, it is going to be rejected. Oh, yeah. And um, the hardest part about that is I think when I say we're not taught 
to know what we want. We're not taught to say what we want, all of those things. I, let me re-say this in a different way. We are taught it, as women by the sort of culture that we're in, and more specifically in church culture, we are taught to be ashamed of mm-hmm. needs and desires and wants. I cannot tell you how many emails we get where people are saying, wives are saying, I want sex more than my husband seems to want sex, but I don't want to tell him that. Uh, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Why don't you want to tell him that? Yes. Why? So you're, so let's say this a different way. You're telling me, I want to show my spouse who I love and adore and, and honor with my whole life that I want to love him with my body, but oh, I don't want to tell him. You're what right. are you talking about? What do you what? mean you don't want to tell him? Right. I mean, it's like telling the waitress, I don't think I'll order any food because, you know, like you have needs, you have hunger, you have love you want to express. Don't be weird about it and become like, you know, dysfunctional about it. But we're literally taught, don't say what you want. That's weird. That's bad. And the worst part, too, is that men are also um, taught that women shouldn't say what they want. And they shouldn't they shouldn't be doing that. And it makes them feel weird. So all of us walk into this with hyper-intentional blindness from our culture and our church, and then we wonder why we can't connect. We wonder why we're not like hitting the mark ever. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, really, before, because speaking of sex, I know I want to go to sex um, here yes. in a second. Um, Lisa, your second question, I promise you we're going to answer this later on. So <sighs> stay tuned on, on the personality thing. Um, but um, we also had that question that said, um, what are some things that want to, that have made you want to call it quits in your marriage? <laughs> you got enough time for this. <laughs> uh, it almost, it almost seems stupid, but the really little things like the 9,000th time that Seth has left, you know, dishes on the counter. I'm like, <laughs> that's it. Right. <laughs> like I'm done. And I know that's also stupid, but it's like this weird avalanche accumulation of no one cares. No one's listening. I think that is one of them, but for sure, like when, uh, very specifically when Seth in our early years, d- wasn't asking me my opinion, he wasn't going to me for advice about our marriage. He wasn't asking me. He was asking other people. He was asking mm-hmm. his male friends instead of his wife. He was asking anybody else instead of having the conversation with me. And that to me was like, you know what? I'm half of this thing. And if you can't come to me and talk about, about this, go find someone else like yeah. that. You know, and I know that sounds weird because it would normally people might be like, Oh, it's cheating or it's this or it's that. It's like, no, if we can't meet on the level of we are equals, peace out. Like this is not happening. And yeah. I know that that seems really extreme, but I'm kind of extreme. No, it's not extreme. No. And, and one thing that Kenyon says, um, marriage will die a death of a thousand paper cuts. Oh yeah. Um, and it's not, it's never always going to be the really big thing because mm-hmm. really big things started out as something else that just kept building and mm-hmm. kept and growing and going on top. If you are constantly always fighting, there's a little thing over here that you consistently ignore and brush under the rug that causes that to steamroll and build up over time. Right. And so, no, the little things, that little thing is what breaks the back. But if you can be mindful every single day of the little things that you did with, okay, you snapped at me and you made me feel like I was stupid when you said that instead of just holding it in. Hey God, I didn't really like the way that made me feel like, um, yeah. uh, like, listen, look, who do you think you're talking to? No, I'm just playing. Like, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't like, Oh, like, did you catch that? Like, did you realize how you just said that to me? Like, and when I do things like that and, you know, kind of draw it to their attention, it's like, okay, self check. I'll remember that. It's when I hold on to it and become passive aggressive. This would be a whole nother talk. <laughs> aggressive is when it begins to then turn into those big things. Because now, all the times that I've like been silent when you didn't snap at me, that one time you mm-hmm. get 
at you. Like, because it's not me responding to this here. Now it's right. responding to all of the other little things. Absolutely. I don't, yeah, go ahead. Right. You said, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. There's something you said, death by a thousand cuts. And I remember having this conversation with somebody and it came, it dawned on me. I'm like, we don't have the opposite of that term. Death by a thousand cuts. What's the opposite of that? And so I came up with this idea of growth by a thousand branches. I know that sounds really weird, but it's, it's equally as it is the small little things that continuously cut us down that end up tearing us apart in the long run. We can do the opposite of that where we just have this tiny little portion of growth, right? And it's not huge. It's not a crazy big giant thing. It's not a firework. It's like literally turning it around and doing little growth things every single day. But it takes knowing not to react to like not, not shutting down and being silent when someone, when your partner does say something that hurts you, but going, wait, you can't treat me like that. Please don't do that. Yeah. Now you're starting another little branch. You're starting another little branch by doing it respectfully, but making your boundaries very clear, right? You're not going to let, you're not going to be walked all over. No. Right. Five thousand branches. Start the growth process. Oh, that is right. good. That is good. Um, yeah, I I want to jump to because I, I we had questions come in um, before this. We did a survey and and we had a lot of questions talk about intimacy and and reigniting mm. intimacy and and things like that. And and I think it's important that mm. as women, as wives, we learn that we have to own our sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it belongs to us. I am not like a sex therapist person. I'm not like a sexologist. Like, I don't, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I joke about it, but like, it's right. not something that I know how to talk about. Right. But it's one of those things where when we're dating, we're watching all the movies, we're seeing how a woman who has confidence and a woman who really owns herself is sexy. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not my sexuality and intimacy. It's not a, Act. I think I said it's a yes, right. It is a statement of of what you uh, honestly. Listen, as women, sexuality is a superpower, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so when we give that responsibility, when we give that to our husbands, he mm-hmm. doesn't want me. He doesn't touch me. And I'm not talking about desire. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about um, um, the idea that we have to be something and we have to be over here to be wanted. We have to be over here and quiet and do this to be sexy where Pastor Jones talked on something last night where he said everything from our diet and things, how we act is a part of our sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do as a wife to really own your sexuality? And even like if your husband is like, it kind of seems like he's not in the mood. What are the things that you do that kind of gets him going? Well, one of the things I want to address before you start, I love what you said. My sexuality, what is it? It's not an act. It's a statement, Mm -hmm. right? Is that what you said? I think that's so powerful. It's not an act. It's a statement. And I'm going to take a few steps back in this. And one of the things that, so Seth and I went to an intimacy retreat with Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers in Colorado. It was about the weirdest thing we'd ever done. It's not like a crazy weirdo thing that you think it's going to be, but it's a sex and intimacy retreat done by a sex therapist. And so it's, people don't understand, excuse me, that so much of our sexuality is, is like I said earlier, it's wrapped up into our history. It's what we've experienced as a child. It's what our parents told us sex was or wasn't in our home. Did your parents shame you for being naked ever? Did your parents shame your body and say, don't touch it? Don't, you know, it's gross. Don't have sex. Don't do this. So our sexuality is not one thing across all cultures, across all people, across all genders. And I'm not talking about anything crazy here. I'm just saying our sexual experiences are all different. What we learn about sex, what we know and what we think and what we feel. We have to acknowledge that first. But one of the things that was very surprising in our journey is I was raised in a home that was silent about sexuality and kind of shaming. Like we didn't wear swimsuits that often because we live in Washington. It's freezing all the time. So I was body like there was a lot of body shaming, uh, like hide yourself. I wasn't very free when it came to my body, if that makes sense. So when you come into a marriage and I felt kind of like, oh, don't look at me. It's gross. It's weird. I was already kind of self shaming in our marriage. So that made sex not great, right? You're like hiding yourself. You're hiding the gift you're supposed to be sharing with your partner. Well, that's not going to work. And so one of the things that happened that I discovered at this retreat that we went to was I was like, okay, what makes me feel sexy? What actually makes me feel sexy? And what's culture going to tell you? Victoria's Secret, lacy lingerie, like 
whatever that is, is going to make you feel sexy. That none of that makes me feel sexy. <laughs> Say that again. Itches. <laughs> right. I know it's scratchy and my butt hangs out weird and looks flabby. No, thanks. And my like tummy is doing something funky. So that is not, that does not make me feel sexy. It makes me feel the opposite of sexy, opposite of sexy. But you know what does make me feel really sexy, which is crazy. My body has produced humans. My breasts have fed children. Hear those words. They are not inappropriate. I created life. God let that happen in my body. That is about the sexiest thing I can think. I am a powerhouse. Right? How amazing is that? Yes. Right? And I feel that energy in my body. Now, is that energy inherently sexy or like what the culture thinks of as sexy? No. Nah. No, not really. But right. it brought in this idea. When I started to think about that, I felt powerful in the sense of like I am life-giving. Mm -hmm. I can bring that energy to my husband for the sole purpose of expressing love and affection for him. That to me is about the sexiest thing I can think of. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I think for me, um, I, um, and this is a safe space, y'all, so don't be like on the internet, like telling that Takara is nasty, okay? <laughs> for me, what I honestly had to learn um, is that I can be, um, what we talked about, like I, I, I am a, a big personality, but it, I think my personality is just very matter of fact. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I just, you know, I'm on, I'm off, business, not whatever, I'm fun, whatever this, but like my personality is very much like business. And so in order to turn on sexy, I have to go back to number one, I love like the old, you know, Victorian and Elizabethan times or the queens and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Because behind closed doors, those women were bosses. <laughs> and one of the first ways that they learn how to be their, that boss is that they recognize the power and the control that they had over their husbands, and it started in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And so I personally like to know that there are things that I can do for my husband that nobody can. Right. things that I can do that will just shift and change all kinds of atmospheres and I'm like, I like to make sure that like there, I'm not in control, but I like to make sure that I'm doing things that I know that in the quick of a button, it's done. It's mm -hmm. like, I got this. I win. Now what? Like, <laughs> that's it. And knowing that, knowing that I can, you know, get that out of him and knowing that I can just kind of like slay him and uh -huh walk out of that room and he knows that too like that's listen that's pride right there like that right. is a badge of honor mm -hmm. and wearing that and owning that and it starts with how we're exercising how we're you know doing things for ourselves how we're making ourselves feel good mm -hmm. and the more confident we are in ourselves the more confident we are in going after what we want including from our husbands mm -hmm. and it really does shift them and make them then turn like oh hey <laughs> Like all of a sudden, my husband sees me walking by. Like, oh, there you are. Like, right. And it's 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 in everything that we do, and it starts with confidence in ourselves and knowing that we have things within us that nobody else um, really can, you know, deal with, can do for our men. You know what right. I mean? And, and even just that state, like we are something, right? Yeah. It's just is us. It's the usness of it. And what I want to think, or what came to my mind when you were saying that, is. That is also something, so I've struggled before with, you know, being a mom, you're busy, you're, you're doing the podcast, doing all this stuff, cleaning a house, doing homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is hard to make that transition into like, like mom to sexy mom, like sexy mama. What, you know, you got to make that transition. And what you were just saying, like, like recalling this idea of there is something inside of me. I have, and I'm going to call it a skill set. It is a skill set. <laughs> Yes. Right? Like a lovemaking skill set. Right? And I have that skill set. And I can literally just recall those moments and the, the, I will say, beautiful power and beautiful strength that comes from those moments. And I can put myself in the mood organically mm -hmm. that way as a woman. Because I do struggle with, my brain's got to be there. My brain has got to be. Talk about wait. the 
no, really talk about the app. But like, just and I know I know we're, this is not like a promo thing, but talk right. about what your the features that your app has that helps you with that too. Go. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, I I do struggle with trying to get in the mindset for making love. And one of the things that we did in our app, we made an app called Anatomy of Marriage. It's now called Anatomy of Marriage. I'm so excited. <laughs> the name changed. And so this app is essentially the tools that we wish we had had. Uh, when we got married and when we were going through all the hard stuff and it has everything that we believe is touched on in marriage So it has a sex and intimacy session or section and one of the tools there are several But one of the tools is literally a mindfulness meditation that I recorded For getting your mind in the mood for sex. It's like walks you through the way that you're you know Imagining yourself touching your partner. It literally is giving you visual stimulation in your own brain of your you and your spouse what is magical and beautiful and love, lovely about that and the whole point is to get the juices flowing that's the whole point of that one we also have battle strip which is a bedroom stripping game <laughs> right get in there yeah look at that tonight play some battle strip go ahead right 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right talk about battleship i'm sorry go oh no, no no so yeah it's just really fun it's like battleship the game you know with little ships and you press a piece but you start out by selecting your clothing and that is even in its own way a fun thing so you got to go put clothes on to start the game so you got to go like get a hat get a scarf get shoes and you can pick what you want you know underwear pants whatever it is and the funnest part i think one of the funnest features is that the rules of the game state that you have to, like if your partner hits the um, underwear button, which that's a weird sentence to say, <laughs> right? <laughs> if your partner gets your underwear, uh, you have to, and you have pants on, you gotta take your underwear off and then put your pants back on. Like it makes the game so much more fun. So yeah, there's all sorts of things in our app, Anatomy of Marriage app. You can go to anatomyofmarriage.com to get it. Uh, there's a free version of it, there's a paid version of it. but And there's also intimacy conversation starters, which are, I mean, I cannot tell you, the conversation starters in our app are like a life-changing, marriage-changing resource that are so simple. You can do them anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. We also have a foreplay list. Like, we talk about foreplay and what it is and why it's important. Mm -hmm. And the foreplay list is, it's our foreplay list. So you and your spouse have a linked account, have linked accounts where you can say, hey, you know what? Um, I really like it when, I don't know, you brush my hair or when you like rub my feet or when you, whatever it is. So the, and the reason that it's a list is because I forget this kind of stuff. I don't remember. I mean, it's hard. I got kids breaking their heads open and dogs pooping in the living room. I mean, you've just got stuff. So to remember what your foreplay list is for your partner is so vital because foreplay really can make a sexual experience last all day. And I know that sounds weird. I don't mean you're having sex all day, but right. I mean, you are, you're that sort of, instead of having a big avalanche, you're having an enjoyable, long, I don't know, I was going to say trickle, but that sounds gross. <laughs> Let's come up with another analogy because that sounded really gross. But you know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> right, I love this. Runs to download app. That was hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Man. Listen, this is awesome. So we've got a few more minutes here before we break, and then we're going to come back at 1130 for the men. But we got this one question. I I wanted to ask you this um, and, and kind of use this to kind of close it out. Um, because um, whoever did ask this question, we are going to be addressing um, repairing um, the broken pillars of your marriage. But I don't want to go um, deep into that. But she did ask, you know, after an affair, after an emotional affair, you know, put the husband out, husband came back, um, while he was gone, had a real affair, they're mm. together, right? Mm -hmm. And her question was, how do I make this a safe space for my husband when mm. I am the one that's in pain? How would you respond to something like that? That's a really good question. And, and we what's interesting more later, but yeah, go ahead. What's interesting about that is that um, I did the complete opposite. I made my home a very unsafe place for my husband during that time. And I think what, what immediately comes to my mind is this imagery. I love this imagery. So a trust is like a bridge between two islands, right? Trust, when it's broken, you're screwed. You can't get from here to here. You can't get from you know husband to wife and wife to husband when trust is broken. Yeah. Yeah. And when you build a bridge in real life, you don't just like put the bridge up. That's not how it works. You need to have supports. 
right? You need to have structures around the bridge for a very long time, months and years at some times for that bridge to be rebuilt. And the reason I'm talking about that is that you need, a, it's almost like a safety net, a security of people around you, uh, uh, women, friends, family who knows what you have gone through and they're, and they are there. So you can say to them, you've got to really have someone trusted though. Let me just say that you can't have someone who's taken sides or doesn't whatever you got to have someone who is for your marriage on purpose and they are your safety net when you feel like you're going to lose it because you can't lose it on your husband. I know that sounds weird because you want to, that's what yeah. I did, but, right. but if you're there to repair, then you can't lose it on your husband and you have to go in knowing that when I feel these feelings, I've got to, off gas somewhere else. I've got to point them in a different direction. And that could be this trusted friend. It could be a counselor. You can get a teletherapy. Like we, we work with um, faithful counseling. You can go to getfaithful.com forward slash anatomy of marriage and get a teletherapist that you can text when yeah. you're feeling like I'm going to lose it. Right. Yeah. And so in that process, you can also journal, you can go for a walk. So make that safe place. You're make it a statement. I am not going to tear down the restructuring of this new bridge of trust we're building with my anger, with my feelings, with my hurt. That's the best way I can think to put it into words, but it's journaling. It's, you know, anything that can distract you, but also not ignoring what you're feeling. You Thank can't you. ignore what you're feeling because it's valid as well, but yeah. don't let what you're feeling destroy what you're growing. Right. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. I mean, yeah, it, you said it perfectly. And like I said, it, those supporting structures are things that we're going to be talking about um, today, dealing with um, that repair, because it does take the both of you, right? But I yeah. think one of the most important things to understand is that whether it's been an emotional affair or an actual physical affair, it is still trauma. Mm -hmm. And we continue to re-injure ourselves in the faces of trauma again because of that silence. Right. And making a safe space does not mean I am being silent about my hurt. Mm -hmm. It does not mean I am ignoring my pain or I'm sweeping it under the rug. I think journaling is probably one of the most therapeutic things you can do mm -hmm. um, to kind of help you get through those rough spots. But also therapy and counseling is necessary. Mm -hmm. For you as an individual, and I'm not, and this is outside of y'all going together. Mm -hmm. For you as an individual, therapy is so necessary because you need to first and foremost go to someone that's going to help you reprogram your mind from thinking, number one, there was something that I did mm -hmm. that caused this. Number two, there's something that I can do to make him not do it again. Mm, that's and your, your behavior is going to shift from being frantic and like really anxiety, depression, everything over here mm -hmm. to, okay, but I also have to keep it together because I don't want him to leave again. Right. I don't want him to cheat again. Mm -hmm. And so dealing with that, it's going to be a balance of really stabilizing your emotions and mm -hmm. your mental mindset right now. Mm -hmm then that will help you in the process and the stages of repair. Right. And what it's like is like when you have a, you know, like a big gallon thing of pop or soda or Coke or whatever you call it, you know, like you shake it and 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 you don't ever open it. That thing is going to explode everywhere. And we talk about this idea of just like, unscrew the lid just a tiny bit. You've got to let these things out. And sometimes, not sometimes, very often in the midst of the hardest parts of our lives, when things feel really crazy, our feelings are lying to us. Yeah. And our feelings don't know our long-term goals. Our feelings don't know that we want to have this good future with this person. So we've got to get in front of our feelings. We got to tell them what they're going to do. We're not going to ignore them because that's going to build up the pressure. So we're going to, we're going to acknowledge them, but we're going to tell them what to do. And we, and, and have boundaries or whatever the, whatever happens with this new, you know, repairing this relationship, we will have boundaries, yeah. right? But they're not going to be built out of fear. You can't control somebody else. They're going to be built out of strong love, respect, all of that, right? And you, you got to have boundaries. You got to put your fear and tell it what to do, all of those things. So, man, message of the day tell your fear what to do. Like, <laughs> you tell your fear what to do. Listen, this has been amazing. Um, again, I think from last night to today, um, Literally, I, I don't know. I don't think we could have assembled a better group of people to really help us like communicate these things. So everything that you guys are doing, thank you um, for last night and for tonight. 
Um, y'all, um, somebody asked, was there a group code for the Get Your Marriage On app? No, and we need to figure it out. There's not. I'm so sorry. But there is a free version you can get. You know, just go to um, anatomymarriage.com. You can get it at, on our website. So, yeah. But yeah. thank you for having us here. I mean, thank you. This is so much, so much fun. And all I can think of is when can we meet in real life? I want to meet in real life. That's all I care about. Dying from like murder monkeys and like killer pigeons. Like there's just things all over the place. So like as soon as the world is back to normal and we're no longer right. apocalyptic times. Right. It's going down. I'm game. I'm game. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. This has been such a gift. And thank you for your questions. I mean, I can't wait to connect more and again and yeah. again. So. Yeah, and you guys everywhere online on socials, um, even their podcast is Anatomy of Marriage. Um, check them out. Um, it, they're an amazing resource. And again, so now you see why we love them. Uh, we hope you have fallen in love with them too. Uh, but we will see you guys. So we're going to break for 30 minutes. Um, and then we're going to come back and rejoin the husbands and start with um, uh, the four pillars, session one. All right. Thank you. Right. you guys have a great morning. We'll see yes. you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to The Covered Podcast, recorded live on Facebook and distributed to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. Now, we can't grow without you, so help spread the love. Rate us, leave a review, and share your favorite episodes. Do you have a question for us? Just drop us a DM on Facebook or Instagram at Ask the Martins or visit us at askthemartins.com. And don't forget to subscribe to The Covered Podcast so that you don't miss your questions being answered or any future topics. Once again, thank you for listening to this week's Covered Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.